0: come back and join us. You know, we'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge that our God is a God who answers prayer, and often we spend a lot of time asking, uh, making requests, and having people pray. Um, But God's been answering. Anita is sitting here we were praying for her uh, last week uh, we were praying for Peter Ash uh, uh, who' is in the st. Paul's with heart issues and he's now relaxing in Hawaii uh, so yeah I offered to go make a pastoral visit so uh, still waiting for the uh, yeah. I know that's going above I know yeah yeah oh yeah it's, it's personal sacrifice yeah uh, <laughs> Yeah, and we thank you for your prayers for our family Sylvia and the kids uh, most of you probably heard are, are in Saskatchewan her mom passed away um, and uh, and so it's been good for them to be there her, her mom was 88 uh, strong matriarch of, of the family all our all our kids are are believers and uh, so yeah it just uh, it'll be a good celebration next week when when we get together uh, for that so God is good God is very good uh, so continue to uh, to to Trust Him and uh, bring your prayer requests before Him. Well, we are continuing uh, in our seri- summer series in the book of Elijah. Mike, uh, Pastor Mike kicked uh, the series off last Sunday, and at the end, if you remember, for those of you who are here, he, he left us with a cliffhanger, left us with a cliffhanger. We were introduced to the prophet Elijah, mid-800 B.C., and the spiritual life, of the nation of Israel at that time under the rule of King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. Uh, in 1 Kings 16:30, King Ahab is described as being the most evil of all the kings to that point. More evil than all the other kings, all the evil kings put together up to that point. And together with his wife Jezebel, they're attempting to eradicate the living God from the daily life and worship of the Israelite nation. And uh, they're wanting to replace Yahweh, God, with the God of Baal, and claiming that he's the God of, of rain and fertility, uh, those types of things, and it's into this dark, spiritually dark ethos that Elijah emerges um, out of the blue as this lone voice for God, and he challenges the king, he challenges him on two fronts um, First of all, obviously, King, you're, you're worshiping the God of Baal, and you, we are a nation who is called to worship Yahweh. And secondly, King Ahab, you as our leader, our spiritual leader, are failing miserably, and you need to get your act together. And to get his point across, uh, Elijah makes this bold statement that it's not going to rain for several years until I give the word, and that's going to be signed that what I'm saying is true. And uh, so with that, God then takes Elijah and hides him off at a place called Careth Brook. And at Kareth Brook, we read at the beginning of chapter 17 in 1 Kings that God sends ravens twice a day, uh, brings food via airmail, meat and bread uh, each uh, day twice, and Elijah gets water from Careth Brook until verse 7, which is where Mike left us. But after a while, the brook dried up and there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Now what? What are we to make of the seeming cliffhanger? Well, our first reaction is probably from our human perspective, like, hey, God, what's up? What are you doing? Like, you've got Elijah who's stepped out. Like, went and confronted the king, uh, risked his life for you, he's, he's done all this stuff, and now you've kind of hung him out to dry, like literally beside this brook that is not giving him any more water. And so the temptation is to think that God's punishing Elijah. But just hold on a second and think of the series of events. Is God punishing Elijah? Elijah put himself and his God out there and said, it's not going to rain for several years. What's the natural consequence of it's not going to rain? Brook dries up. So God is actually affirming Elijah and saying, yeah, Elijah, your prophecy, because I told you this, your prayer is going to come true. And so it's possible that Elijah, while... Every day that brook started to dry up a little bit more, probably a part of him saying, "Uh uh-oh, I need water to survive. What's going to happen here? This isn't good. It's also possible a part of him is saying, hey, cool, it hasn't rained, and the brook's drying up, and God's affirming. Like God's actually doing what he said he would do. In my, human, in my situation, if I was Elijah, probably my humanness would win out in that situation, and I'd probably end up coming back to, uh, yeah, but God, couldn't you just like, this one brook in all of Israel, like just have this one flow? <laughs> like you've put me here for a reason, I need water. Now, of course, God could do that, right? If God can make it not rain, God could make a brook flow without rain. God could do anything, but one of the things that we're going to see over and over in Elijah's story is that this isn't about Elijah's comfort. This is about Elijah's relationship with his God. Because one of the things that we get tempted to do as people is uh, we get tempted to believe that the things that God is giving us are the things that are going to sustain us. And it wasn't the Kareth Brook that was going to sustain Elijah. It wasn't the ravens bringing him, you know, food. Like, if some hunter killed those ravens, does that mean he doesn't get meat and bread every day? Like, no. We're not called to put our trust in the things that God gives us, even the good things, the gifts and the blessings. We're called to put our trust continuously in God alone. So whether it rains or not, God's still the same provider. Whether that brook has water or not, God is still the same provider. So the cliffhanger really isn't so much of a cliffhanger after all. It's actually just the next step in Elijah's discipleship. The next step in the the growth process of his relationship with God. And that brings us to 1 Kings 17 verse 8 and our passage for today. Remember, this is about God growing relationship between Him and His people. Verse eight: Then the Lord said to Elijah, "Go live in the village Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I've instructed a widow there to feed you." Now, a couple things to note: God sends Elijah into hiding from King Ahab by the Cherith Brook. Right, get him out of harm's way, uh, get him a- away from the temptation of trying to get people to make it get it to rain earlier than it should. All those things. And now the brook dries up and and so you'd think like, I don't have the map, I probably should have put it up there, but if this is where Israel is and God sends Elijah over here to the Kareth brook and then it dries up, that maybe it would be wise to send Elijah over here for hiding. But he doesn't. He sends Elijah over here, which means Elijah has to walk right through King Ahab's prime territory. King Ahab and Jezebel are looking all over the place for him, and God sends him to Phoenicia, which also happens to be Jezebel's homeland, her home country. So that's the first thing to note. And then he says, I'm going to send you there, and you're going to be taken care of by a widow. Now, a widow, again, someone very low in status in that society, would not have much. Drought, famine occurring, she probably has less than most people, and yet... God says, I'm going to send you to the widow there, and she's going to take care of you. Well, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever as well. Makes me pause and think. Do you think that God has any reservations about who's in control? Do you think that God has any question about who has power in this situation? So Elijah went to Zarephath. He walks west, across King Ahab's territory right into Queen Jezebel's hometown, or not hometown, but homeland. And uh, as he arrives at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, would you please bring me a little cup of water in a cup? Now, that's not an uncommon thing for a man to ask a woman by the well, because the women would be the ones getting the water and that kind of thing. And as she was going to get it, he calls her again and says, bring me a little bit of bread too. Now, that's a whole different story. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. So we know a little bit more about this, uh, about this widow, this woman. She's a widow. She has a son to look after. Both of them are starving. She's getting ready to prepare their last meal. She's got that much left, flour, oil, that's it. And then she plans literally on them starving to death. I mean, she's, she's, she's hopeless. So again, is there a mistake? Why would God, like, God, you're going to send Elijah to the most hopeless person, the person with the least amount of resources in this place, and that's who's going to take care of him? you must have the wrong widow but elijah said to her don't be afraid what's elijah thinking hey lady i just came from a place in the middle of nowhere where god was airmailing food twice a day to me like by two ravens I and mean, he probably named the ravens like like he took care of me so His faith is obviously growing as his experience with God continues to grow in process. And it's got to be evident to this woman because look at the next thing. He's about to ask for the insane from her. He says, go ahead, do what you've just said, but make a little bread for me first. Not for you and your son first, but for me first. And then what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. That's craziness. And I know that all of us, if we were in Elijah's shoes, would be saying, no, you go ahead and eat. And if there's anything left, if it's the Lord's will, then he'll provide for me. So let's do it that way instead. But he doesn't. That's not what God asked him to say. So she does as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Really? I would have loved to have been that little boy. Like, can you imagine every day getting up and there's the jars and you're just like, like, I'd be, like, zoned in. Just wait. Oh, did it go? Oh, I missed it. Like, I, I don't know. Like, or maybe it was really obvious. Maybe. I don't know. doesn't tell us, but that would have been cool. First, ravens are used to grow Elijah's faith. And now this miraculously refilling supply of flour and oil. Now, granted, it's not a menu that's fit for a king, right? I mean, it's bread in the morning, bread in the evening, like when he was at the Careth Brook he got meat and bread, steak and potatoes, now he's down to just like the, the garlic bread without the garlic. And, but again folks, it's not about Elijah's comfort, and in this case now adding the widow and her son about their comfort, this is about their relationship with the living God and how he is pursuing them and what he wants to do in their lives. It's about learning to put faith in this God, no matter what. It's about learning to put your trust in God and be willing to ask for something, even when that something has never happened before. Verse 17. Sometime later, the woman's son became sick. He grew worse and worse, and he finally died. And then she said to Elijah, O man of God! What have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? One of the things that I want you to notice in this story with the woman is how she refers to God along the way. At the beginning, she referred to God as your God. To Elijah, it's your God. Remember, she's living in a a place where she's supposed to be worshipping Baal. She's supposed to be... Honoring what the king and Jezebel say. Now it's, oh man of God. It's like, okay, there is God. In, okay, it's a little bit different. What have you done? Have you come here to point out my sins? All of a sudden, her sins begin to matter in the presence of this God. Now, we don't know what those sins are, but in her mind, it's enough to kill her son. In her mind, it's enough to put a, a divide, a chasm between her and God that's impassable. But Elijah is coming to know God in a very different light. He knows God as someone who judges rightly. He knows, somebody, he knows God as someone who, who cares and who offers in the midst of judgment ways out. Remember King Ahab, King Ahab. The most evil king out of all the kings. More evil than all the other evil kings put together. Like, if that's the guy, is that not the guy that should get the plague or the, 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 the strike of lightning from God? Like, let's just wipe him out. And yet, God in his mercy towards Ahab sends Elijah and says, hey, time to get your stuff in order. Like, this is not right. And when Ahab doesn't do that, well, then that's the time you take him out. No. No. Okay, I'm going to give you a few years here without rain until you, get your, you know, get your senses about you. God is a God of mercy, a God who offers a way of repentance and a place to, to go to where we can make a turning of our lives. That's the God that Elijah is coming to know. So he's not willing to accept the lady's uh, uh, title that he's God's emissary of judgment, He doesn't even try to defend God. Instead, he stands with with this woman and he cries out, verse 19. But Elijah replied, give me your son. He took the child's body from her arms, carried him up the stairs to the room where he was staying, and laid the body on his bed. Now what? Elijah cries out to the Lord, O Lord my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who opened up her home to me, causing her son to die? So he's in that place of, okay, God, like you've done a few things here. We're at it, you know, we're on good talking. T- like what is going on here? You first, you dry up the brook, you know, okay, just change my circumstances, move me over to Zarephath, that, that works. Uh, then, then we've got uh, hiding me in plain sight, like right in Phoenicia, like Jezebel's home country, like that, okay, I get that. Then you've got me taking the last meal from a widow. You almost lost me there. That shouldn't, but you came through. And now I've got her dead son, like right here, laying on my bed. Like that's undoable. What's going on, God? Elijah stretched himself out over the child three times, cried out to the Lord. Nothing happened the first time. Nothing happened the second time. I'm going to do this again, Lord. Oh, Lord, my God, please let this child's life return. Now, I'm sure that that's not the first time in history that those words would have been said about a child who has died too young. But it is the first time in recorded history That what takes place next takes place. People have probably been asking for resurrection healing to happen before. And as far as we know, scripture does not record anywhere that that's taken place. And Elijah steps out there and he takes his relationship with God to a whole nother level and says, God of mercy, I know you to be true about this. Would you do this? And the Lord heard Elijah's prayer, and the life of the child returned, and he revived. God, you're the God who can control the rain. I saw it as the brook dried up every single day. God, you even, like, man, we watched those jars day in and day out, and you, you just did that. Like, you could do that. You can hide me from a king who's got all the resources in the land to find me. You can do that kind of stuff. And now you can undo the undoable. Like death is final. Death is certain. And God, you have undone the undoable. Is there any question in Elijah's mind about the status and the power of who God is? Then Elijah took the boy down from the upper room, gave him to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. Then the woman told Elijah, now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. Not your God, not a God or the God, the Lord. You see that progression that's happening in her life? Same thing, that progression that's been happening in Elijah's life, in that relationship, that discipleship that's been happening, same thing here because that's true. Yahweh, God, is alive. He's powerful. He's caring. He's the one true God. She has come to realize that Baal, whom she's under order to worship, is not the one that she should be worshiping. From a human perspective, it doesn't get bigger than that. We're talking about creating life, which Baal, God of fertility, supposedly, has power over. Uh uh-uh. uh. Creating life, going through to death which up until now has been final, and then God resurrecting and recreating life. So if there's any doubt in Elijah's mind or in the mind of this woman, God's saying, no, I am in control. I have all power. I create, I take out, and I can even recreate and resurrect. Friends, as you read through the, Story of Elijah. You should be hearing and uh, catching the foreshadowing of the story of the coming Messiah. Right? This is a, this is. It's dripping in Elijah's life. This concept that God is willing to pursue us and to be in relationship with us to such a great cost. This concept that. He is willing to take us through periods where where we will be in complete hopelessness and bring us new hope. This concept that when all seems lost, when the grave seems to have won, he has the power and the willingness, the desire to bring resurrection life. It's a foreshadowing of the coming Messiah, Jesus. God wants to be in relationship with his people, and he wants to train up our faith beyond our imaginations in order to reveal him, because he is beyond our imaginations. So what's God doing in your life beyond what you thought was possible? Beyond what you think you can handle, what's God doing? Do you know there's not one thing in Elijah's story from the, the camp out last week, the ravens, the air mailing, the food, the, the, the flour and the oil, the resurrection of that young boy. There's not one thing in Elijah's story that couldn't be in your story. I want you to stop and think. There is not one thing in his story. And we're going to unpack more of his story in the weeks ahead that could not be in your story. We tend to take people like Elijah and we tend to put them on that top shelf, right? We've all got that shelf up there. You know, some of us have like, you know, our mom up there, or, or this pastor up there, or, you know, and then we, you know, there's Elijah, and Moses, and Peter, and you know, that upper shelf that we, that we could never attain to, but it's good to have up there for inspiration, right? Because at least somebody's done it. Like, we can just say, it's possible. Don't! Stop it! Clear off that shelf! Other than Jesus... Everybody else on that shelf is human just like you and I. And there's nothing in their stories that could not be a part of my story and there in fact are things in my story that are not parts of their story that show amazingly who God is. Stop thinking that this great story will never intersect with your life or my life. It does. It totally does. Do you know how often... I go into Costco, maybe not so much now that our kids are a little bit older and I can leave them at home, but when I would t- we would take them like to Superstore or Costco and all we wanted to do was be able to get our own groceries and get out of there and get home without having disowned our children or left them in the cart strapped in with a note on there saying, please return to someone else, not to the owner." God's airmailing groceries to Elijah in 800 AD. No technology. No Google getting it. Like, you don't think that He can provide for you today? In 2017? Come on, people. Yeah, the times have changed. Yes, Elijah's story is different. But the God hasn't changed. And that's the focus of the story. This is for us today. This is about our relationship with our God. And just like Elijah, we are in a process of faith training. So don't minimize it. Don't stick Elijah up there and you down here. And someone else below you. Because that makes you feel better. God isn't done with any of us yet. And your training looks different from mine. And my training looks different from Elijah's. And Elijah's training looks different from Debs. That's just the reality. But it's the same God with whom we're in training. The very same God. And it's the same primary principle that Elijah experienced. What you and I go through in our faith training has nothing to do with our comfort. I know that that is hard for us to believe in the Western world because why else would we have been born into the Western world? And into all? No, it has nothing to do with our comfort. It has everything to do with growing our relationship with God. It has everything to do with learning to put our trust in him deeper and deeper and deeper. God wants us growing toward him. Creating in us a radical deep trust in who he is so that we can share that with others. Believing that he can do anything. Believing that nothing can stop his pursuit of me. Believing that he will use us beyond what we are capable of. And that he does it for his glory. Don't minimize that. Second, God's training methods are often surprising. So don't overanalyze it. We live in a very rational uh, world, a a world where we can prove so much by science, and that is awesome. Uh, It's very affirming of the things that God is doing. But there are times, there are a lot of times where we just need to not overanalyze it. If God leads you to stay beside a brook, then stay and wait, even if the brook is drying up day after day after day. If God tells you to go to a Zarephath, or a Tanzania, or a Guatemala, or wherever, then go, no matter what. Even if it takes you through places that you don't necessarily want to go, or maybe that you don't think are safe. If God puts you in situations that are completely and utterly beyond your understanding, what on earth are you doing? Embrace it, and say, I know In who the God that I believe in, I know who you are. I know that you have been faithful in this in the past. I know that you have done this in my life. I know that the scripture says this of you. I will wait and let you figure this out. We are are finite. God is infinite. So don't limit him. Don't sit there racking your brains trying to figure out everything that God is trying to orchestrate and do because you're not God. His ways are not our ways, Scripture says. The prophet Isaiah says his ways are mysterious, wonderfully, beautifully mysterious. They're not ours. Third, God's training method usually hinges, requires our obedience, so don't ignore your part. God told Elijah what to do. If you just break down Elijah's story, what did he do? He asked him him to go and confront. Well, You and I, we could do that. He asked him to go and sit sit somewhere. Well, I, I can sit. He asked him to go and ask a lady for some food. I, I've done that. I kind of do it every day when Sylvia's home. <laughs> a little different context, but... <laughs> right? He told the widow sacrifice. Hey, I, I've been asked that. In every case, the answer... Before God's provision hinged on... Elijah and the woman actually doing those things, on being obedient. That's an ongoing principle in our human-divine relationship. Don't get fooled or tricked thinking that Elijah just grew up with this bold faith at the bottom there. We got that tagline, bold faith. Yeah, Elijah, he just came out of the womb and his mom said, whoo, bold, bold faith. No, Elijah was in process the whole time. He was in training the whole time. And we're going to find out, because next week, you know, he takes his faith to a whole different level on Mount Carmel. Those, you know, that story, boom, fire, and showdown with 450 priests. and but Like, wow. And we're going to find out after that, that he goes right back into training. Because he's human, just like you and I. The reality is nobody starts out with that kind of of, of calm, confidence, contentment in the face of adversity in the face of tragedy when that little boy dies. No one starts out with that, that, uh, that undiminished faith, that persevering faith that says, oh God, bring this kid back to life. Okay, God, second time, bring, you know, like third. You don't just start there. No one starts out with that humility that he portrayed when he came down and handed that boy back to the mother. And gave all the credit to God. Elijah was in training. He accepted his part in the process. Don't ignore your part in the process and in the relationship. It requires our obedience, it requires us doing some hard work, right? Every relationship that we are in requires that. And our relationship with God is no different. So, what's happening in your relationship? with God today. What's God doing? Yeah, Elijah's an amazing story. We're going to continue to unpack it this summer. Amazing, amazing guy. But he's human, just like us. And his story is not so much a story about himself and his feats and all the amazing things that he accomplished. It's about his relationship with God. And that's the same God who's in relationship with you and I. Today, same God. We're going to finish off today with time of worship and prayer. I'll invite uh, the worship team to come on up. I'll invite people to from our prayer team to um, head to the sides. Yeah, I, okay. Wait. Can hey, we do it all, later? Uh, sh- that's, that's an awesome idea. Okay. We're going to invite people to come to the to the sides for you to pray with, and maybe there are things that are going on right now in your relationship with God, and you're you just don't know. You like like I don't get it, God. I like. These are people who would love to uh, pray with you and uh, talk with you about those things. So, so let's pray and uh, enter into time worship. Father, we thank you for the likes of Elijah. Lord, we thank you for. relationship that we see that you pursuing in him as we read through his story in First Kings and uh, Father we pray that you would do that continue to do that in our lives this morning and in our relationship with you where we are putting our trust in the things that you provide and in the answers and the gifts that you give us Lord, would you strip those things away from us and would you focus our eyes solely on you again, the giver. Father, where we are standing in places of confusion and desperation, would you come and would you meet us? And would you you reveal to us who you are? Grow our faith, Lord God. Grow our faith as individuals, as your people together, as Jericho. Father, as we go into this week, we pray too that you would use us to display who you are through us. And would it be for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name.